This is Amy Poehler. My new movie, Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2, is coming to theaters June 14th, and it's making me feel joy and sadness and anger. Definitely some disgust. Rose! And I think a little fear. But I'm also feeling these new emotions like anxiety, embarrassment, envy, and ennui. It's what you call the boredom. Okay, that one was weird. It's going to be the feel-everything movie of the summer. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters June 14. Get tickets now. This is Pop Culture Confidential, and I'm Christina Yerling-Biru. Welcome to Pop Culture Confidential's second Venice Film Festival dispatch. I am so happy to have with me here Tom O'Brien from Next Best Picture. Welcome. Oh, thank you so much. This is a, this is fun. I've been looking forward to this all day. Oh, that's so <laughs> great. And you guys are probably going to hear some wind, and you're going to hear some a nice waiter coming with our wonderful cappuccinos <laughs> because we're sitting outside of the festival area. So, Tom, tell me a little bit about your festival experience thus far. You're a writer, you're a critic, um, so you're here to cover the whole thing. Um, What has it been like so far? Well, this is my first festival. I've been to Venice before, and actually when I first visited here 20 years ago, I uh, made my husband... Here's our coffee. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I made my husband come out here to the Lido because I wanted to make a pilgrimage to the theater that we are attending every day Mm -hmm. and not knowing that it would ever come true that I would be inside that theater. So it's very, very much a dream come true. So very happy to be here with that. Yeah. And what what did you most want to see? What do you expect of this festival this year? Well, I was really impressed with the top tier uh, level of directors whose films they've... uh, Done with between we have Noah Baumbach and Inaritu and uh, Martin McDonough and Florian Zeller and Darren Aronofsky. I mean, some uh, really remarkable things. And I'm leaving out a number of top-flight films. Uh, it's 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 like back-to-back things I've been dying to see. Mm. And uh, it's like, oh, we've got two more things I'm dying to see today. This is great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're really calling Barbera the chief of the festival, the Oscar kingmaker. I mean, really, besides Steven Spielberg's The Fablements, he got most of the things that you guys were talking on Next Best Picture and I was talking about that has been sort of what we thought was going to be award season chatter. And after Venice, we'll know a lot. Mm-hmm. And it may change our predictions a lot uh, because it's uh, Venice is a revelatory film festival in that uh, things we th- think are going to be contenders sometimes aren't and all of a sudden one thing that comes out of the blue that we didn't expect and rises to the uh, top of the pack. So uh, I, this, uh, so I'm excited to discover whatever, whatever's lurking around the corner for us. So yesterday I talked about white noise, and you and I have seen two of the other big pictures this past day, um, <laughs> and that is Tar. Todd Field's movie, he's back after 16 years of not making a movie with Kate Blanchett in a very spectacular movie we're going to talk about, as well as Iñárritu's new movie, Bardo, another Netflix movie. And I wanted to talk to you about those, get a little bit of idea of what you thought of them. So let's start with Tar. Generally, what's your... I was greatly anticipating this one because I'm a huge fan of his only two films, Little Children and In the Bedroom. 
and uh, to be away for so long and wondering, is he ever going to make anything? And then to make something with Kate Blanchett is, is just was just so exciting. Uh, it's a it's a very interesting movie. Uh, it is it becomes kind of a she said movie, but from the point of view of the quote unquote predator, although we are never really sh- sure at the beginning whether that is true or not, because the she said element of tar early on is not a really important thing until it gets very fully developed and may begin the downfall of her career and her life. First, we're introduced to Kate Planchett's character, Lydia Tarr. She's a huge conductor in the world. I mean, we were introduced to her through a long interview that The New Yorker does, where we get all her credentials, a really interesting beginning. Um, we understand that she's incredibly dedicated, passionate. She has all her theories. Leonard Bernstein was her mentor. She lives in Berlin, where she's a conductor. Her wife is her what do you say, lead violinist? Yes, I would say, yeah, yes. first violinist. First violinist, that's what you say. But we start understanding that there has been issues with younger women and students and um, that uh, something is bubbling under the surface. And she does have a lot of power over a lot of people in her environment. And Kate Blanchett is just masterful at this these power plays that she's doing, both the power she has as a conductor in those scenes and the power she has towards the other people around her. Yes, she's always in control. Even in something like the New Yorker interview that opens the film, there's a sense that she appears to be spontaneous, but you know that she has kind of rehearsed these answers, but they sound fresh. Yes, very true. And uh, that's the kind of control this character is kind of, you know, is totally under. Uh, She is a fascinating amalgam of people, but no one in particular, which is lovely because uh, Lydia Tarr in this film has forged her own path, which is carefully uh, cared about. She is a media celebrity in the States, and, uh, but is seriously considered an icon of uh, German music in, uh, back home. So it, it, it is a monster of a role, and which I think might have crushed many other actresses or most other actresses would probably be afraid to take it on. I mean this is a role that Kate Blanchett does with her face, with her voice, with her arms and legs. I mean she's just a presence and you can see her tense up and then you can suddenly see her just be swept away by conducting in the music. She just seems like a very hard person juggling a lot of things. Yes, a lot of demands are placed upon her. And that is a very difficult character to pull off and still make the audience interested in you. Uh, And there is a natural appeal that Kate Blanchett has established to the audience that we're willing to go on this journey with her, which helps to uh, make the rigors of Lydia Tarr a little more a little more palatable to us uh, as 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 her life begins to progress and eventually inevitably begins to unravel and the calm cool facade begins to crack very slowly a little bit of at a time 
but Blanchett really communicates that to us so that we can see, uh-oh, something's happening, and then that all hell breaks loose. Because yeah. <laughs> Todd Field really illustrates this elite world that we're in here. We're talking New Yorker, NPR, Berlin, beautiful apartments, but it's all very gray, dark, you know, hard, harsh. Um, and at the same time, I think he's doing a little bit of what was, we saw in Spencer. He's using a lot of horror elements, yes. especially when the tensions start rising, um, which I think is interesting. But, Tom, there's some very interesting themes. We're saying it's sort of a Me Too movie here. How do we start seeing that? Well, initially, it's spoken of in terms of emails from a particular music student that uh, Lydia asks her assistant to delete and wants to make sure that they are deleted. And you think, okay, this is curious. But we begin to uh, learn more and more about the nature of those. Uh, we learn that the student uh, has, had some, has had some kind of relationship with Kate Blanchett who claims that this particular woman is unstable. Um, but as the film progresses, these threats become greater and greater. And uh, till finally, there's an enormous reveal that begins the cracking of the facade. And it's, it's so often so many of these, so many films about subjects like sexual harassment are told from the victim's point of view and this is unique in a way because you see the other point of view and uh, we're not we're not sure at the beginning whether any of this is true but the, as the film progresses and you begin to see glimmers it's like maybe it is and how she is towards other people other people mm -hmm. and beginning to shunt people who love her aside for some new shiny object conquest. who has now come in that uh, may become a conquest. So uh, it's, it, it's a fairly lengthy film, and it, 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 but taking its time to do its reveals, it's not dull. You, you really are tantalized by every single bit of information that you get, and and watching with fascination how Blanchett, the actress, communicates all of those small, getting bigger, getting bigger moments that will begin the downward trend, downward life of Lydia Tarr. What do you feel the, their bigger message or idea was? I mean, there's very seldom we see a woman as the aggressor. What do you think that their bigger meaning was? She's a producer on this, Kate Blanchett and, and Todd Field. Yeah. Uh, it's, it is providing a different point of view, but in no way does the film sympathize with what Lydia has done. Um, but it does show how easily a private life attraction can impact your business life and your career and can ruin someone else's life forever. And uh, that is, it's a reminder about how destructive predators can be. 
and the lasting impact that uh, their actions have take, it can take on a life and potentially death. Right. So in general, I have, um, I thought Kate Blanchett was amazing. I was riveted. I, I love a movie where I don't know, am I feeling this? Am I feeling that? Am I empathetic with her or not? I have issues with the last 20 minutes, I have to be <laughs> honest. I don't want to go into them here all that much because it feels like a big spoiler and it won't be out for a while but um, that's sort of my general feelings about this movie that I wish certain things would have not taken place at the end which sort of changed the idea I've had of this character in a way that I wished it wouldn't have. (laughs) How about you? (laughs) I know exactly what you mean. Uh, There was a point when the last 20 minute section begins and I thought no, 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 no. You had it right the first time. Go, stop, end the film right now. Uh, but it does go on. Uh, it is a bit confusing. There's so much jammed into the last 20 minutes that seem to come out of nowhere uh, that uh, it leaves one a bit confused as the credits roll. Which the credits did, were at the beginning. That's the right. ending of the, the, yeah. That is true. That is true. I'm so used to yes, the opposite. Me too. It's yeah. like. But, uh, I, but I see it more as a blemish on the film rather than something that uh, severely uh, harms the film. So uh, it's like, I'm going to consider everything I like, which is 95% of the okay. film. So uh, I, I am a fan. Great. Um, before we move to the next film, you're so one, an Oscar expert. What do you think of the chances in general in award season for Tar? I think that the fact that Todd Field, who was has really one of the best track records uh, of getting his uh, actors nominated for acting Oscars. I mean, he's had a grand total of two films, and he's gotten five nominations from for his cast. Uh, I think certainly Kate uh, Blanchett is is destined to get oh, her God, next yeah. nomination, and it is it's going to be undeniable. I think you're going to have to consider Kate Blanchett in every discussion of Best Actress going forward. Uh, can it go all the way for the win? I don't know. It's a I suspect it may be more of a critics' film uh, rather than an audience pleaser. And that may stand in its way, but they, they have given the Oscar to performances in films that are critics' films. So uh, it may be that she may be undeniable because I've not seen an actress in such a powerhouse role mm. uh, in, in, in many, many months, many, maybe even a year or two. So I, I really think that it's going to be a player. I think that Todd Field coming back is going to have also a a very good good narrative I think uh, focus knows exactly what to do with it Uh, I think a screenplay nomination is definitely in the cards Uh, possibly even director because this this is really a directorial achievement as well as an acting uh, showcase and uh, something I really do want to mention uh, the the score oh yeah uh, Hildur Gudnansdottir, yes, <laughs> who went for, thank who, you for, for a joker. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and, you know, once you win, you're in, always yes. in the club. And she, this is amazing. Yeah, it, this really is. And and it, although the sound nominations genuinely go, yet generally go to Top Gun Maverick things, uh, th- this is very much about sound, mm-hmm. oh, like yeah. it is about music. 
and the sound uh, design here is remarkable. And uh, it may be a dark horse in that category, um, but I see good Oscar things for ahead for Tar, uh, and um, am definitely rooting for Kate Blanchett. Yeah, those sound elements are, are part of what we were talking about, the horror, because she starts every little sound in her life when she's alone. I mean, she hears the refrigerator whirring, she hears these doorbells from other apartments and they get louder and as, as more tense she gets in her loneliness and her anxiety over what she's done is my <laughs> view on it but um, yeah so that's interesting okay good I have a little bit of a feeling that this could go the way of Spencer that this could be a big year for her uh, and the rest of there may be a bit stiff competition for the rest of this movie which is more of a critic um, that she will be in all awards races and then we'll see if the rest of the, you know, Todd field and, and all other things. But we'll see. Hilder, most likely. I really do think you may be right. <laughs> it may just be one and done with this. Mm. Uh, but uh, it, this is going to be one of the more fascinating Oscar potential stories out there. Mm -hmm. And I'm very anxious to uh, see the critical reaction when it uh, uh, releases in theaters in October. Right. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey, and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. Okay, moving on to the next one. He's not new to the game, not new to Venice, not new to the Oscar. That's Alejandro Iñárritu with his new movie, Bardo. Talk about this movie. This movie surprised me early on because the early parts of it are so satirically comic. And I found myself laughing out loud and thinking, I'm laughing at an Iñárritu film. What's going on here? Uh, and as the film progresses, it deepens. Uh, I, I had read a lot of speculation from people because it's a memory piece about a... A filmmaker who returns back to his birth country of Mexico. Uh, that is, this is Inaritu's Belfast and his Roma. And I, my initial take on it, it's much closer to Fellini's Amacord uh, in in its in its depiction of his recollection of his past life. Uh, it's done in tableaus that are meaningful to him, and we can glean the meaning that they have out of him. But a it's, it's not a sentimental reenacting of events um, that you might be led to believe. Uh, it's three hours Oof, long, it's long, kids. <laughs> <You> know? <laughs> uh, know that going in. Uh, and it is an eye-popping spectacle. Um, but it has... Just briefly, I'll say that, so the lead character, he 
is up for an award. He's become a very respected documentarian and journalist. He's, you know, Mexican by birth. He's also returning to Mexico where a lot of his former colleagues feel that, you know, you suddenly became an artiste working for the gringos. Um, And there's a lot of very, very interesting and powerful scenes where he feels kind of what can we call it survivor's guilt over the fact that he came to the states and had this success and is covering the people that are struggling to come to the states from from mexico and so on and he's also seemingly having um some sort of i don't know if call it a breakdown but he's sort of in, in in spiraling from different things and it uses a lot of magical realism. It starts with a very spectacular birth scene, which I won't give away, <laughs> but, uh, and things like that. I think what I just described is really, really interesting. I was fascinated by those parts. In, for me, it took on a little bit too many threads and also too many... I wasn't sure if he was continuing to do the absurdist, magical, realist things, and all of a sudden he wasn't, so you were sort of confused, if you know what I mean, by where are we now, what is he saying? Yes, it's... it's you know those moments in movies where something fantastical happens, and you think, wow, what's going... And then someone wakes up and it's all a dream. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are too many instances of that, those things here. And after a while, you see something that's interesting and you don't trust it. Should I invest myself in it? No, because I'm, the rug's going to get pulled out from me in, in, in 30 seconds. So uh, why should I really care about it? And it becomes cumulative, that effect. So uh, the spectacularly unusual things that are shown here um, really work to lesser and lesser effect as the, the film goes on. And that's a big problem in getting your audience to trust you. Uh, because there are, they have some very strong through lines here. They've established some stories, some themes that are very potent. And in the final mix, very emotionally powerful at the end. But they're gummed up along the way by these diversions and Mm sidetracks and we lose a lot of the power that they would have engendered and that's what's kind of frustrating about it. I kind of wish he would have either gone even more absurd, you know, continued on that line because those, I loved several of those themes or it's like he he was unsure of himself (laughs) (laughs) to go here or there I think there's a great two hour movie in this Mm -hmm. I'd love to see that. Yeah, <laughs> there's a, yeah, there's an hour we can snip, snip <laughs> over here. But have you been? I mean, Inyarito is such a divisive. I mean, people are really like, oh, I love him. I loved Birdman, or I didn't like Birdman. How has he been for you historically? With the uh, uh, there are those of us uh, next best picture who respect him and like him, and others that respect him and don't like him. <laughs> but, uh, so that, that, that is, uh, it's very much out there. I became a big fan uh, for, from his film Amores Perros. Mm-hmm. Uh, that just knocked me silly. And I said, this is a guy who has an eye. And I've been following his career very closely. Um, some hits, some misses. 
Uh, I was a big fan of Birdman. I know some people oh, aren't. Oh, I loved it too. I know some yeah, people aren't. I, yeah, I know. I'm really. And I think of all of his films, this film is closest to Birdman. Yes, the sort of the anxiety of, of uh, being an imposter. Am yeah. I supposed to be here? Am I supposed to, like in that one, in Hollywood versus the theater, and this one, you know, am I a real documentarian or am I not? I And I felt the strongest part of, of this film of Bardo was how difficult it is to leave your home country and come back and yes. how you never feel you know which has been a strong part of my life and and my you know my mother and so on who, who left Spain and, and that you never feel at home anywhere you're yeah. an imposter here you're an imposter there and those elements of the film I thought were very strong and a they could have done, made even more of that for this entire family. Because that's something that a large part of an audience can identify yeah. with, people who've moved to another country. Especially a country, you know, with these issues that he's dealing with here, with, you know, the Mexican border and that, things like that. I mean, th these are a lot of feelings that he has to his new, his life in the States compared to what it would have been if he would have stayed in Mexico as a journalist. Yeah, it's, uh, so there, there is a lot of meat here, and, uh, but there's also quite a bit of self-indulgence. Yes. And uh, that pained me to see because I, I started talking to myself. It's like, come on, get to what the good stuff is. <laughs> and uh, though there are, I think Inaritu has some spectacularly showy directorial flourishes in it. Oh, yeah. Uh, there is a scene in a nightclub with a moving camera that uh, is, uh, I think, his homage to Goodfellas. <laughs> and it's uh, quite spectacular and really wonderful. And, uh, the, uh, and I think the entire cast is very good because it's, this kind of magical realism is a tricky thing to pull off and still maintain a believable character. And of, across the board, uh, they, they deliver in that. Uh, that's the frustrating thing about it. There's so many... That's not their fault, it's the not performance. Their, no, 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 that's not where the issues There's lie. so many good things in this. And uh, I would probably still rate this a 7 out of 10 because the, of just how good the good things are. Right. And I just wish there were more of them or less of the other stuff. So, uh, but nonetheless, uh, it'll be interesting to see how it plays on Netflix. Who is going to be the audience for a three-hour uh, yeah, journey thinking, this like this? This is competing with, like, The Floor is Lava, or you're <laughs> watching the three-hour Inurito movie about the Mexican filmmaker. I mean, it's, I'm wondering who's going to sit down for this. I, I think... God love Netflix. It, this film probably couldn't have gotten made without oh, their no. money. Um, but... Ideally, and if you live in a city where you, uh, you can see this in a theater and want to see this, being in a darkened room watching these images come to you, uh, I think would be the ideal way of mm -hmm. seeing it. Uh, because I'm not quite sure how they'll play on a 26-inch screen. Yeah. Yeah, Netflix has four big movies here, and all of them are really interesting, but not maybe the broadest uh, streaming fair that we'll see this year. We have White Noise, Abardo, Romaine Gavras film, Athens and Blonde, yes. which may be the one that most will draw most eyeballs since it's about Marilyn. But, okay, so 
this is a director who is very beloved by the Academy, who's one, who's, what do you think about this one? Will they welcome him with open arms with Bardo? I don't know whether there's going to be buyer's remorse for giving him a second Oscar so quickly. <laughs> uh, that could certainly happen. But every year there is one breakout foreign language film uh, that usually wins the International Feature Prize and gets a few, uh, even a surprise tech now and then. This could be that, uh, but I'm not quite sure it's good enough. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it, there, it does uh, introduce itself with comedy, which will draw an audience in, but once it gets to its more fantastic parts, I don't know whether the audience will stay. Mm -hmm. Well, 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 remains to be seen. We have another week or so left. Tom, thank you so much for taking oh, your time. Christina, this has been a joy. Thank you so much. This is great, and I love talking about these movies. Yes, and we'll, <laughs> we'll talk again soon. Thank you so much. Thanks. Take care. You've got questions. We've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.